All right, I'd like to continue with the uh, theme of worship that Pastor Vaughn has been preaching on the last few weeks. And I'd like to begin by looking at two aspects of worship. Uh, the first aspect comes from an obscure Hebrew word. We'll see if you guys have heard of it before. You ready? Sila. You heard of it? All right, where have you heard of it? Psalms. All right, bonus question. It's actually in one other book in the Bible. Nope. Nope. It's Old Testament Minor Prophet. Habakkuk. Habakkuk, yeah. 71 times it occurs in the Psalms, three times in Habakkuk. And kind of the idea, or the, the, the main thrust behind it, is to pause or to reflect, or to think upon. And theologians think that when you see that in the Psalms, which is where it occurs the most often, that it was probably some type of musical interlude. And it was an opportunity for people to pause and reflect. Um, But what is it doing in the Psalms? I mean, if it means pause, reflect, why the pause? What is it wanting us to pause about? Well, a couple things. One, I think it's a reminder for us to pause to worship. Pause to worship. Um, It's not like a pause in our life. It's really, our entire life should be worship, right? Entire life should be one aspect, is really one giant worship of your life to the Lord. But I think sometimes we can use that as an excuse to come in on Sundays and not fully engage in worship. Because if we start to think of the bigger aspect of worship, where our entire life should be really a worship service to the Lord, then when we come in on Sundays, we're like, oh, this is just one more aspect of my entire life. But that's really misunderstanding the different scopes of worship. While it's true your entire life should be an act of worship, your entire life should be an act of service, right? But you're probably serving the Lord a little bit better and a little bit more when you're witnessing to your neighbor than when you're sitting on your couch watching football. Would you agree? Right. But your life should still be an act of service. Well, the same is true with an act of worship. If your entire life should be an act of worship, there's going to be times where you're a little more engaged, you're a little more focused, and let's say the the primary thing that you are doing is actively engaging in an act of worship between you and the Lord. Does that make sense? So, when I say we need to pause to worship, what I'm talking about is we need to stop, let's say, our normal daily routine going on out there to take time to worship the King of Kings. To worship Him. It's you and God locked in together on a Sunday morning for whatever length we're singing those worship songs. Whether it's 15 minutes, whether it's 30 minutes, whether it's 45 minutes, you need to take time out. And it's kind of like a reset. It's like, you know you have priorities each day. And I don't know about how, how you guys do it, but when I'm working, I have a, a long list of things to do, and I never get through that list, and it's like the list never ends. It's kind of like when you're in college. It's like you never really get through your homework. It's just... You get done with that, and then the next test comes up, and then you got the next book to read and the next thing to do. you got priorities, right? And 
each day, different priorities are moving themselves around on the list, right? And some are moving up, and some are moving down, and some become more urgent, right? Because you have that 10-page paper due tomorrow morning, all of a sudden that gets bumped to the top of the list. Different priorities. You have a work project coming up due. Three months ago, it was probably lower down on the list. Now it's moved its way up to the list because it's going live next week. So priorities. The same is true when we're thinking about pausing with worship. Because it's a resetting of our priorities. What is our priorities when it comes to our life? Well, we were created to worship God. That's why we were created. So that should be the number one priority. That should be it. So it's when we come here, we're saying, I have something important to do today, and I am going to make time to do that. Where do you rank worship in your list of priorities? Where does it rank? It should be at the top. It should be number one. Don't understand me on this, because when I'm talking about a pause to worship, you know, a lot of times I think people, it's like who you are here for your two hours on Sunday is not who you are the other six and a half days of the week. That's not what I'm talking about, pause. I'm not talking about putting on your, you know, happy Christian face for two hours and coming in here and acting like everything is great and fine. That's not the pause I'm talking about. Really, you need to bring that stuff in with you. Because the Lord wants to deal with that stuff. The pause I'm taking about talking about is a resetting of priorities so that worship is the number one priority. And you're resetting, you know, here's the first day of the week. We need to reset our priorities for this week. What a great way to reset with worship first. First day of the week, we start off with worship. So life continues to go on. Don't live life, though, as if the sila, the pause, doesn't exist. So we pause to worship. But there's then, I would say, a pause in worship itself. And that's what we're seeing here in the Psalms, is a pause in the actual worship. It's a pause not in the fact that all of a sudden they're playing back in the Old Testament, and then everything just stops, right? And it's dead silence, though I think there could be that aspect. But a pause in the service, where a couple things are happening. Let me explain. You ever just sing to sing, not in a good way, in a bad way? Like you're in worship and you're just singing and, you know, there you are, just singing along. You're just singing to sing. That's what we're doing, so I'll just sing along. Hannah's up there, Rob's up there, they're strumming their guitars, I'm just going to sing along. But don't just sing to sing. Pause and deal with whatever you need to deal with so that you can truly engage in worship. Pause. If you, you know, that's why I'm saying bring that stuff in that you're dealing with. Don't leave it at the door. That's the last thing the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to bring that stuff in. He's the only one that can deal with it. What better place to it, for it to be dealt with right here? So pause. If there's sin in your life, pause. Deal with it in the service, in worship. Deal with that sin. Pause to deal with any spiritual attacks. 
We can't divorce the physical from the spiritual. Look, the last thing Satan wants you doing is worshiping him. And he will do everything possible to throw every possible distraction at you that he possibly could. Look, each week, I'm usually holding in one of my arms a distraction. <laughs> and I kind of, I've kind of struggled with that because it's like, you know, when I'm holding them, you know, they're shifting around and they're moving and they're whispering in my ear, right? So do I put them down and just say, no, during this 45 minutes, it's just me and the Lord? I feel like that's almost like a counter message, though. Because here I am coming into the Lord's presence, and I want my Heavenly Father to be loving on me. And then I'm over here saying, no, the earthly Father is not going to love on his children. And I want them to realize that worship is a nurturing time and an engaging time. And encourage them, as they engage with me while we're worshiping, I want them to engage with the Father. Are you hearing me? Now, that doesn't mean I, I will hold them the whole time. One, my arm gets tired. But two, two, I do need some time with just me and the Lord, and I do need to put that, you know, the, the blessing and the distraction down for a couple minutes. So there is, there is a balance there. But I don't want them to feel like once we walk in the sanctuary, hands off, no interaction. Because I want them to feel like they can interact because that's exactly what we want them doing with the Lord interacting when they come in here. So we don't want to give them mixed messages. Now, I will say that it seems like about every week after the service, there will be a little kind of training session with my family about what constitutes appropriate distractions. So I will try to head off some of those distractions and have people go to the bathroom before we come to church or right when we first get to church, if we're here on time or early, to run to the bathroom and get that out of the way, so maybe that's one less distraction. Even though it seems to never fail, it still happens. Even We just went 15 minutes ago, son. Okay. It still happens. I get it. But I try to remove that. But we have a little retraining session sometimes in the car on the way home and about, okay, what constitutes reasons that you can pull on Dad's shirt during worship? <laughs> All right? Because you want a piece of gum? No. All right? Because your you know, head is cut wide open and bleeding everywhere, yes, okay. You have to put it kind of in you know, extremes for kids to understand. So a little retraining session is always, is always, is always acceptable, and, and we'll, we'll have to do that uh, ourselves. Um, you know, I had someone come to me a few, actually a few months ago now, and said, whenever I'm in worship, I'm distracted. This was uh, a younger person. And so, one, I told him, look, sit in the front. I've noticed that you sit in the back all the time. And when you sit in the back all the time, then, you know, if someone walks in, you're gonna, your eye is, you know, darting over there, and you can kind of see everything in front of you, right? Some people like that. And then you see everything in front of you, it's easier for you to be distracted. So I said, if you're being distracted, move towards the front. If you're, you know, sitting in this front row over here, 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 it's harder to be distracted because everything going on behind you, you're kind of oblivious to. That's kind of good sometimes. So I told him to sit in the front, too. I told him, the moment you become distracted, you just need to stop. And you need to pray to the Lord. 
And ask them to remove those distractions. Whatever it is that's distracting you, if it's the person coming in or if you can't stop thinking about the game that starts at 12 noon or whatever it might be, pray for the Lord to remove that distraction and kind of put that at his feet and let him take care of the distraction. He came back to me a couple days later and was all excited and was like, man, it's working, it's working. I'm sitting in the front and, and I'm praying every time I'm distracted and I'm really engaging. I mean, it was rather simple advice but it helped them out. Pause if you need to deal with the spiritual attack. Um, I went through a period where I was under intense spiritual attack, and worship on Sundays was the worst. Not the worship, but... (laughs) (laughs) The worship was still good. But the, the time the attack was the worst was on Sundays during worship. And... <clears throat> probably for some length of time, I probably spent a third to a half of the worship service just praying against the spiritual attack. I was—I mean, it was serious spiritual battle. Why? Back to my other point, the last thing Satan wants us doing is engaging in worship. So he's going to throw everything he can at us. He's going to use all sorts of distractions, and he's willing to intensify the attack if he thinks it can get you off track and discourage you. I mean, think about it. If you come here and you want to worship the Lord, and then all of a sudden you're being attacked spiritually for half the worship time, that can be pretty discouraging. Battles going on. But deal with it. Don't act like it doesn't exist. If Satan is throwing stuff your way, pause and deal with that. Rebuke him. Pause to deal with temptation. Same idea. Maybe Satan's throwing that your way. Maybe it's your flesh. But pause and deal with it. And the idea I always think of, it talks about in Scripture, take every thought obedient to the, uh, to the, uh, take every thought captive, excuse me, to the obedience of Christ. Right? And so I think of, you know, when different thoughts are flying in my mind, I kind of have this picture, you know, and I'm taking it captive like I'm the, um, the, uh, one of the prison guards, right? I'm taking it captive, and I'm taking it to the, the ward of the prison. Here, this guy's unruly. Jesus, take care of him, right? Here he is. I'm handing him off to you. You deal with it. So we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I'm giving it off to him to deal with it. Take our thoughts. If they're distracting us, temptation, whatever it might be, hand it over to the Lord. Let him deal with that. So look at Psalm chapter 3. This is the Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And then somewhere probably either in your margin or off to the, to the right somewhere is the words Selah. Does your Bible have it? Yep, okay. And it probably has maybe a little number next to it and with a footnote. Okay, so you're reading along in this psalm. They're singing it thousands of years ago, and they would have some type of pause. Some type of pause they would have. So many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Think about that. Pause. Reflect upon it. And then where does it start again? But you, O Lord, 
are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. What a contrast, right? These are what men are saying, and this is what God is saying. Men, God. And we need to pause and reflect upon the difference. Oftentimes, we give too much credence to the men, and we forget to pause and reflect on, what does God say about this? What is his view of this? How does he look at this matter and respond? Look at Psalm 4. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. Does your Bible have it? Yes. So we get directed. It starts out, oh, men. We're men, right? It's kind of being directed at us. Uh, How long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? We're called to reflect on that, to think about it. How is that true of us? What are we doing about it? How are we conquering it? What's the response? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So before the pause, you're like, wow, I need to, I've, I've messed up. I need to get right with the Lord. And then it says, the Lord hears when I call to him. The Lord hears when I call to him. We should also pause to contemplate the glories of this mystery, as Paul talks about in Colossians. Have you ever been in worship? And it's like you get so caught up in the moment that it's almost like singing the words would almost be a disservice to the Lord. <clears throat> because you're so on a deeper level with the Lord, whether your head, eyes are opened, usually mine are closed at that point, but you're communing with him on a level that, well, Romans talks about words can't even communicate. It's okay to pause for times like that. So what we're learning, though, is that pausing really isn't a stoppage in the worship. It's a part of the worship. And worship was key to the life of every Israelite. Every Israelite. Look at Exodus 33. Exodus 33, it says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses." And then catch this. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. So what's the picture we get? Moses goes to the tent. The cloud comes. They worship. God's presence is there, and they worship. God is there, they worship. Whenever 
it says, Moses went. They see the cloud. They'd all stand there. I mean, you kind of get this picture, right? Because earlier he says, they would all rise up. Each would stand at his tent door. Why would they stand at their tent door? And how long would they stand at their tent door? And what is a tent door? (laughs) (laughs) But they would stand at the tent, right? The little opening. They'd stand right there. Expectantly. They were waiting for God to come. They were waiting for him. They were expecting him. They knew he would show up. And they were just waiting for the moment that he would show up so they could start worshiping. Are you hearing me? Waiting for that moment. They were anticipating it. They were looking forward to it. They were excited about it. They were waiting. God's presence is here. The awesome thing about us is we walk in here, we're with the body here. God's presence is already here. Here he is. We don't even really have to stand and wait. Because he's right here. He's right here. Most of Leviticus is about proper worship. Exodus and Deuteronomy deal at great length with worship. I mean, you can't deny what's going on with the Old Testament. What do the prophets do on a regular basis? They rebuke Israel for their improper worship. They pointed out the sin of what Israel was doing. Over and over and over again, the prophets called Israel to task if they got wayward in their worship. It was important to God. Worship of him was. Look at Psalm 29. It says, A psalm of David, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Look at that part where it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. What glory is due to his name? How much? All, right? Not some, not a little, not a measure pressed down, pushed together. All. All of the glory. That's what he wants ascribed to him. All the glory. Look at Psalm 66. Verse 1. To the choir master, a song, a psalm. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Did you catch what's in the margin? The sila. Pause and think about that. Because you could pause and think about that for a whole long time. You could meditate on it. You could chew on it. You could think about it. 
Look, it wasn't something that the Israelites did if they woke up on time, if they weren't out late the night before, if they needed a week off for the family, if they had nothing better to do. It was something they did, period. They worshipped. They worshipped. And it should be a priority for us. Why? I have 150 reasons. I'll name them. Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 3. All right, 150 psalms. An entire book of the Bible, the largest book of the Bible, is worship songs. The largest book. Now, I could understand us maybe undervaluing worship if there wasn't much said on it, or if the psalms maybe were just three or four chapters long, or if God didn't address worship over and over and over again in the Old Testament, or if in the New Testament uh, it was silent on the subject. Uh, But none of those things are true. I mean, the overwhelming weight that we're called to worship in a specific sense, gathering together corporately, is abundant. It should be priority number one. What's the first commandment? No other gods. And he wanted to make sure we understood it. So the second commandment? What's the second commandment? No idols. Right? What do those both have to deal with? Worship. Look at Luke chapter 9. I think some of us might need a little transformation in our worship. We're going to start in verse 51. It says in verse 51 of Luke 9, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now your version, depending on what version you're reading, might say, He was determined, or he resolutely set out. The New King James says he steadfastly set his face. Literally, he set his face, is what it says in the Greek. But those versions pick up the flavor of what's intended. He was determined. He was resolute. He was steadfast in what he was going to do. It's a Hebrew idiom that we encounter here. It means to determine to do something. To determine to do something. When the days drew near, right, for him to be taken up. His time is coming to an end on this earth. It is time for him to give his life. What does he do? I'm going to Jerusalem. He set his face there. That's where he set his sights on because that's where he knew he needed to go. He was resolute about it. Nothing no one was going to change his mind. It's interesting, too, because in the Greek, the, the he is emphatic. So it's like saying he, yes, he, set his face towards Jerusalem. It wasn't something that the Father was empowering him to do. It was Jesus, the very one who was going to be crucified. It was he himself who set his face towards Jerusalem. He was resolute in doing it. He would not be distracted. We need this attitude for worship. 
we need to be resolute. We need to set our face towards worship, towards God. When it comes to worship, nothing will hold us back. And I think, I think some of us are maybe struggling, and we can acknowledge the truthfulness of a lot of what Pastor Vaughn and what I've said today um, concerning worship, but our heart is having trouble getting to that point. Be resolute about it. What is going to lead and guide your life? Your emotions? You'll be miserable. Subjective things? You'll end up sorry. Objective truth? That's what I recommend. If Jesus can determine it, if he can set his face, and we're supposed to follow his example, right? And he was a man. We can be resolute. And we can make our heart go where it needs to go. And maybe that's part of what some of you need to do and pause and worship and ask the Lord to get your heart there. But you can be resolute about getting your heart there. You can. Because many of us have, to, have had to do many things in our lives, good things, that we've not wanted to do. And we've done them, right? Why? Because we've been resolute about it. We've set our face towards accomplishing it. We've been determined to do something. And so, we've done it. And if you are determined to worship, you can worship. Pause and think on that. Don't let anything hold you back from worship. From getting here and from worshiping once here. Look, we might not feel like it. We might not want to. That doesn't matter. If we're called to it, we need to do it. Look, my flesh cries out every Sunday morning. We're supposed to put the flesh to death. Mortify the members of our body. Satan is going to try. Rebuke him. Be resolute that you are going to worship the Lord, whether you feel like it or not. Set your face to it. One more aspect to Selah. Some theologians think that during that musical interlude where you have that Selah, that there was some type of maybe crescendo or forte that was occurring. So maybe the music was getting louder, or people think the voices were supposed to get louder. Do you ever sing in different, you know, loud or soft in worship? Well, it's warranted. Not just from this word. That might be a little bit of a stretch. But because of other verses that we see. Look at Psalm 20. Psalm 20, verse 1, to the choir master, a psalm of David. 
May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. Right? Pause. It goes on, verse 4. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up banners. Shout for joy. All right? Shouting. If you shout for a long time, you're going to lose your voice. So there's going to be differences in the sound during worship. There should be. Because there should be some shouting going on. That's right. You have to clear your voice sometimes to get ready to do it. Shout for joy. Look at Psalm 27. In verse 6 it says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I think we need a selah here because we do need to pause and think about that. Because if you pause and think about it, I mean, it says, I will offer in his tent sacrifices. I mean, they're in there killing the animal with shouts of joy. It's kind of a weird picture to me. But it's what the scriptures say. That was part of their worship. It was animal sacrifice. And they were joyous. Why? Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. They saw it right before them. Their very sin cost life. And God had forgiven them. What better reason to shout for joy? Psalm 33. Verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Psalm 35. It says, let those, in verse 27, let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad. And say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Now, in English, it's harder for us to see this, but this is actually a command. We don't usually give commands like this in English. Usually, we're just straightforward. Stop doing this. Start doing this. Take out the trash. Do your homework. Greek and Hebrew use the third person sometimes to give commands. And this is actually a command. Let those who delight in my righteousness... right? So if you're one of those who delight in God's righteousness, your command is to shout for joy and be glad. It's a command. It's interesting because the word means here to call loudly or to call shrilly. Shrilly. When I read that, I was like, i got to look that word up. I mean, I think I know what it means, but shrilly? I was like, really? <laughs> it, means, it means high-pitched and piercing in sound quality. Now, I know what you're thinking. 
the person behind you is singing pretty shrilly. <laughs> but it also means marked by great intensity. Marked by great intensity. So they're shouting, right? With a great intensity behind it. Not just shouting a shout, but shouting with intensity, with emphasis. It's perfectly acceptable to shout in worship. If we, if you just go home today, go to some concordance online, and type in shout, and then see it, all the psalms listed over and 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 over. Shout. Lift up your voices. If you have never done it, dare I say, you are missing out. And I'm serious. Look at Isaiah 24. I love this verse. Okay, Isaiah 24, verse 14, it says, They lift up their voices, they sing for joy, over the majesty of the Lord they shout from the west. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, if we just read that real quick, and we didn't take time to kind of think about it, to pause, to meditate on it, we'd probably miss something here. Back in 14, it says, they shout from the west. So they're having a worship service in the west, right? It says, therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. Why? It's like the shouts are so loud that the east needs to respond. So loud was the worship, the east could hear it. And it's their time and their turn to shout back to the Lord. Now, that's some worship. That's some worship. Look, in Hebrews 12.28, I think Pastor Vaughn uh, referred to it. Well, let's look at, let, look at it just for a second. Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with dullness and apathy. Oh, wait, sorry, wrong version. That's the flesh version. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Now, I don't know about you, but there's sometimes in worship where for me to be reverent and in awe, I can't just stand there. I just can't. To be reverent and in awe, I just can't stand there. What does reverent mean? Without going into great detail, it's a feeling or attitude of deep respect. Awe is an overwhelming feeling of admiration, even fear, produced by that which is grand, sublime, or extremely powerful. Awe. Think of Moses when he saw the burning bush, right? Reverence and awe. Think of Isaiah in chapter 6 when he saw God and the angels crying out. Reverence and awe. 
And that's how we need to be in our worship. It says it's acceptable worship with reverence and awe. That's what God wants from us. We're going to do some worship. We'll have the worship team come up. We're going to have some Jesus time. We've been having Jesus time, right? We're going to have some more Jesus time. Uh, But I'm going to have the worship team play a musical interlude, a selah, for us, each one of us, individually, to pause. Let's all stand up. For us to pause. And if whatever aspect that you need to pause and commune with the Lord about, when they start playing, that's what I would like you to do. Whether it's pause because of distraction, pause because of sin, pause because of spiritual attack, whatever it might be. Because I want us to come before the throne right now in complete unity without any distractions. And then as we're worshiping, if you need to do some of the other pauses, do that as well. Let's pray. Father, we want to pause right now and we want to hear from you. Lord, we want our uh, we want your name to be lifted up and glorified, and oftentimes we ourselves get in the way. We ask for your forgiveness for that. And Lord, we want it to be about you and not about us. And Lord, some people's hearts might not be there. I've been there myself. Bend their hearts to worship you. Lord, we thank you that you, the pillar, is here right now. And some of us are standing around waiting for you to show up. And you're already here. Let us acknowledge that. We thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. That you delight over us with singing. God, as the team plays their instruments, Lord, and we take a moment of reflection, a moment to pause, I pray that you would speak to each person in this room, whatever it might be, small or big, that you would speak to them. In your name. Fellowship would be sweet right now as we minister to one another, God. May your name continue to be lifted up in your name. Amen.